I enjoy boats, but when a boat has a hole in it, my assurance that it'll keep me afloat isn't the greatest, and I spend too much time working at emptying water out of that boat. Conversely, if the boat is sound and secure, I have great assurance I can enjoy the boat far more. We'll talk about the spiritual side of that next. The ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to the program. We're looking at assurance of salvation as Paul works through that here in Romans chapter 8. As we mentioned at the beginning of the program, that great assurance can bring about great liberty to really enjoy the relationship we have with Christ. Let's catch up with Pastor Steve Converse, shall we? as we talk about our blessed assurance. We can turn on your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're continuing our study through the book of Romans. Um, want to um, continue on with uh, where we left off last week. If you re- remember, we were talking about the assurance of our salvation uh, in Christ. We talked about how Romans 8 begins with no condemnation, is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And the end of the chapter, it ends the same way. Who will condemn us? No one. And so uh, the whole point really of this chapter is to give us uh, assurance of salvation as we live our Christian lives by the power of the Spirit, not by the power of the flesh. And so we looked at a couple uh, things last week. We looked at three pillars that assurance rests on. And the first one was to ask yourself the question, have you abandoned all trust in your own good works so that you're trusting in Christ alone for right standing before God? That's very fundamental to your salvation. If you're trusting in anything that you bring to the table, you might want to look at that again. The second pillar we looked at last week was if your faith is genuine, then you possess new life in Christ and that new life always manifests itself in changed thinking and behavior. In other words, there will be evidence in your life that the creator God has changed you, has transformed you, has saved you. You don't have to manufacture this evidence. It happens through the power of the spirit transforming your life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Your love for God and your desire to love him more and more increases if you're truly one of his children. You'll grow in godly character if you're truly one of his children. And that's all summed up in the the fruit of the spirit Galatians talks about. But the third pillar that we looked at last week was the inner witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies that we are children of God. And that kind of brings us to our text. And I want to read um, verses 14 through 16 of our text again, just so it's fresh in our our hearts and minds. I'm going to start in verse 12 just to keep everything in context. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see there the inner witness, that third pillar of the Spirit. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Not maybe, not possibly, they are. And so last week we looked at our study and we concluded that if the Spirit is leading us to kill our sin and and confirming to us the promises of the gospel daily in our lives, then we can be assured that we are children of God. And we, in review, we we talked about these five important spiritual truths that were brought out in the text. And the first one we looked at was not everyone is a member of God's family. This is something that is a product of liberal thinking today, liberal theology, that everybody is a son of God or a daughter of God, they would say. And, And that's just not true. The universal fatherhood of God or the universal brotherhood of man, however you want to describe it, is not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, Jesus was very, very clear that there are two groups. There are those who have God as their father and those who have who? The devil, Satan, as their father. And he pointed that out rather clearly in uh, the book of uh, uh, John. And so, Jesus was basically reiterating the, 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 the simple truth there that not everyone is a member of God's family. Now, we're all created by God. We wouldn't argue that. But we're not all members of God's family. We're not all born from above. We're not all born again. And that's what um, Jesus had to explain to Nicodemus. If you want to be part of the kingdom, if you want to be part of God's family, it's not good enough just to be part of the lineage of Abraham or whoever you want to quote, but it's important that you become born again. You become born from above. And that leads to the second pillar that we looked at here, the second important spiritual truth, is that all Christians are members of God's family. There's not a Christian on the face of the earth that could say, well, I'm not a member of God's family. No, that's not true. Um, Every Christian... Those who have put their faith or trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and in his work on Calvary alone, if you're a believer, then you're part of God's family. And we looked at three elements of that. First of all, it's radical. To become a child of God means that an individual has experienced a radical or profound change. This isn't just adding Jesus to your life. See, that's how a lot of religious people or a lot of religious churches think of their newfound faith. Well, I just added Jesus to my life. So here's what I was doing before, and I just kind of added Jesus in a slot in my life. No, that's not legitimate saving faith. That's just conforming your life to some religious organization's do's and don'ts. I mean, I grew up in a church where that's basically what you did, is you conform to what they told you to do. You had no life change. You had total, total spiritual disconnect between what you were doing on Sunday in church and what you did the rest of the week. There was no connection at all. And so there's a radical change that happens when someone is transferred from 
Adam's family, the, the family of death, the family of sin, into Christ's family. And we looked at all that last week. To be part of Adam's family, to be in Adam, as the Bible says, back in Romans 5 and 6, means that you're basically in your sin. You're a slave to wickedness. You're under divine judgment. Therefore, you're destined for eternal death. To be in Christ is just the opposite. It means to be delivered from sin. It means that it's, you're delivered from God's judgment. It means to be growing in holiness and possessing eternal life with certainty. And that change comes in someone's life radically. Secondly, we looked at it's a supernatural thing that happens. It's not only radical, the change, but it's supernatural. And that meant that it has to be done from someone outside of ourselves. It has to be done from a divine being. It's supernatural. And we looked at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was confused. Well, how can somebody be born when he was older? Tell me he'd be born again. Jesus, I don't understand. And Jesus made it very clear in that passage in, in John chapter 3. He made it very clear that becoming a child of God is a matter of spiritual birth. It's, it's not a matter of what church you join or if you got baptized or it, none of that stuff. It's only something the Spirit of God can do. And that word born again, that again implies that this birth is from above. It's something that happens to us. It's divinely imparted spiritual life. And then thirdly, we said it's far-reaching. And by that, we, we meant that it doesn't end at the spiritual rebirth. It doesn't mean that you just get saved and then, okay, then God walks away and says, okay, you're going to heaven. I don't care what happens to the rest of you. No, it doesn't happen that way. He gives us what? The power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that is pleasing to God each and every day. And he even in verse 17, as we read, he even calls us, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I mean, just think about that for a second. That's an amazing thing. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What's he saying? It's a package deal. You don't get the glory without the suffering. You know, you see some of these people that are, go to the gym every day. And they're just like, you know, there's not an inch of fat on their body. And you're going, wow, that's amazing. They're in such good shape. And it's funny, when we run into somebody like that, we always ask them this question. Well, you know, do you work out? It's like, duh. I mean, no, I just, I just take one of those little pills and this just naturally happens while I sleep. I mean, stop and think about it. It's such a silly question, but we all ask that question. Well, boy, you must, you must go to the gym. No, I just I sit home and eat donuts all day. And this is how I have this wonderful physique. You know, you don't get the glory without the suffering. You don't get the paycheck without putting in the time. I mean, however you want to look at it. Okay, that's so important to understand because there's a certain theology today that teaches just the opposite. That, oh, you come to Jesus and he'll just bless you with health, wealth, and prosperity. And you don't have to do nothing. It doesn't even matter really how you live. You can do whatever you want. Because you're under the grace of God. Well, this section here in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, really, speaks about our relationship with God. It, it speaks regarding a, a key word here in the text, the word adoption. This isn't in your notes, but I think it's up on the screen. That we are sons of God, that we are children of God, he says. Why? Because we have been adopted, he says. Well, what does adoption speak of? When you think of adoption today, when you think of a child who's adopted, in our mind we think, oh, this poor child, <laughs> right? Not anywhere else to go, so wow, he just had to be adopted. 
But really, in the text, adoption speaks of love, of mercy, and grace. If you were to define adoption, it would be the legal action whereby a person is brought into a family in which he has no blood relations. That's what adoption is. A person being brought into a family in which he has no blood relations. When a person is adopted, beloved, he is given all the privileges that the other members of the family possess, even though he's no relation. Look over at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is kind of leading up to our, our third principle here, but we're just kind of just review introduction stuff. But if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 to 18, he's quoting here, and he says, I'll start in verse 16 there, the, the, where the quote, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then he says this, Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Separate from who? Separate from those who are worshiping idols, the unbelievers. Be separate from them. And touch no unclean thing. And I will welcome you. And look at what he says in verse 18. And I will be what? A father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God extends adoption. He extended it to the Israelites, and he extends it to us through Christ. And he says, basically, in that context, he says, you need to come out from among them. God extended adoption to the redeemed of Christ's church. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, you can turn over there if you want. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says basically, very clearly, verse 3 starts, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, you had nothing to do at all with your salvation. That we should be holy and blameless before him. And then he says this, in love, verse 5, he predestined us, what? For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Those of us who are saved have received the Holy Spirit, which is called the spirit of adoption. And we have been made sons and daughters of God. Even though we don't deserve it. (laughs) Even though there's no relationship there. God made us his children. And we find this theme all the way basically back, back to Romans 8. When he starts off, he says, There's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. He's designating that, you know what, something has changed. The Holy Spirit confirms our adoption. And that confirmation should be very assuring to us as believers. In other words, he placed us into his own family by the miracle of regeneration. He transferred us from an alien family that had no connection to God whatsoever into God's family. And he confirms that reality in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. And like I said, in our society today, when you think of somebody who's adopted, you know, oh, I'm adopted, you know, it's kind of like you're a second class Citizen, you're 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 a second class offspring. You know that's the stepdaughter or the stepson. And the important thing is is that when we are adopted into God's, there's no stepchildren in God's family. Okay, it just doesn't happen that way. 
As a matter of fact, back when Paul was writing this in the society in which he lived, the Roman society, if a father didn't think that any of his own sons were worthy to inherit his name or his estate, he would adopt a son for that purpose. He would go out into the community and he would find somebody who's worthy of that inheritance. He would find someone with the character and the talents that he needed to be his son who was worthy for, of his inheritance. Even though he already had some sons, maybe they weren't, didn't have the character needed. And the adopted son would then take the precedence over that man's real sons. Amazing. In the, in the Roman ancient culture, you have to understand, as an adopted son, this wasn't some, you know, stepchild picked up off the street. You have to understand that he was chosen by the father to inherit all of his estate and to actually bear his name. And so when the Bible says that we have become adopted sons of God, it's not like we had nowhere else to go. It's not like we were just wandering, however we were. It doesn't mean that God picked us up off the street just to care about us. Just because, well, you know, poor kids, they need, they need a father and I'll, I'll, I'll bring them into my family. And no, it, it, it does mean this, that he has chosen us to bear his name and to inherit his estate. Isn't that incredible truth? We don't become children of God through a process, the Bible says, of natural birth. We become his children because he sovereignly chooses us before even the foundation of the world. Now, I know some of you are older, some of you are up in age, but I don't think any of you have been around before the foundation of the world. Okay, so the Bible is very clear that we are saved because God sovereignly chose us. You say, well, why would he choose me? I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out myself. But that's what the essence of biblical adoption means. Well, what are the consequences of adoption? In the Roman society, there are basically consequences here. The first one was the adopted person lost all ties to his old family. If you agreed and father came and said, yeah, I want to adopt you. Okay, great. The adopted person gained all the rights of the natural children in his new family. And he lost all the ties to his old family. I mean, isn't that a beautiful picture of what happens at salvation? Secondly, the adopted person became an heir of his new father. He became an heir. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit next week when we get into verse 17. The existence of these natural born children did not affect the adopted children's rights. He was actually a co-heir, sometimes a sole heir, if that's what the father wanted. The adopted child was considered as a real child, just as real as those who were naturally born of the mother. Thirdly, the adopted person's past was forgotten. What do I mean by that? Well, in Roman society, if you were adopted, when a person was adopted, all of his legal debts were canceled. How many of you are saying, hey, can somebody adopt me? (laughs) That's so true. All of his legal debts were canceled. He was given a new new name, just as if he had never even been born before. And you know what? The same thing happened to you when you came to Christ. You were adopted into God's family. All your past debts were canceled, and you became a co-heir of the Son of God and everything that he possesses. 
All those things happen when we were adopted into God's family. We are legally and eternally the sons of God. Nothing can ever change that. Now, that word adoption is is rich in its meaning. It it really is insufficient to describe everything that that happens. Um, Both adoption and regeneration kind of explain how God brings us to himself. But we're called, we're named the sons of God. We're given a title to an inheritance. And we're no longer under any condemnation because we've been adopted into a new family, into God's family. And all of our former debts have been canceled. What a wonderful blessing. And he made us his children and he established our right to be in his presence. And no one can condemn us because there's no higher court than God's courtroom. Amen? I mean, that's where the buck truly stops. And so Romans 8.15 says that we have received the spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit confirms in our hearts the reality of our adoption. And that's kind of where we are right now in our outline there. Point three, to be Christian means to be led by God's spirit. Because we've been adopted into his family. So we have the spirit of God. I mean, up to this point, doctrines that we've been talking about might refer to the change of status only. Before we were in Adam, now we're in Christ. But now it kind of fleshes itself out in a very practical way. That if you're going to be a Christian, if you are truly a Christian, then you will be led not by your flesh. You will be led by the very Spirit of God that dwells within you. That's what verse 13 says. If we live spiritually now and forever, if, we, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, sin of the body, verse 14 adds that we will indeed do just that if the Spirit truly lives within us. You know, years ago, it was always challenging for someone to test their um, physical paternity. Who's my mother? Who's my father? And sometimes they were brought into court and they would try to, you know, the lawyers would go, well, that is your child and you have to pay child support, whatever it might be. Wow, I never knew this lady. And, you know, it was almost impossible to prove a lot of times. Well, now with DNA and all that stuff, it's a no-brainer, Right. I mean, you can prove it very quickly. It's the test of paternity. Well, how do we know that we are in God's family? All right? Basically, if the Spirit of God, and this is the fourth point, if the Spirit of God is leading us in our daily lives, it's the path of discipleship. It's the path of following Christ. So you can't call yourself a Christian and then do whatever you want to do. I mean, you can do that, but obviously your, your Christianity is called into question because becoming a Christian, being born again, it's not just adding Jesus to your life, right? It's not just calling yourself a Christian. It's not just saying, well, Jesus is Lord and then living like he's not. That's not legitimate faith. That's not saving faith. And yet our churches are full of people that read the Bible and they see what it says and then they go and do whatever they want. That's not saving faith. So we have to be careful when we talk about these things because to be a Christian means that you're led by the Spirit of God. That's what he says there. And if the Spirit is leading us, then we can be assured that we are children of God. But what does it mean to have the Spirit lead us? 
Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.